0: All right, everybody, welcome to Edge Rush. And if you ask us, we think that's the coolest name of all the shows here on the Hammer Betting Network. My name is Chris Abbott. I am your host, and I'm joined by TA from Clev Analytics and the hitman. Guys, I don't know if you're old school wrestling fans, but I feel like I'm a, I'm a manager. I got the Hitman and Magnum TA over here. So this could, be, this could be really good for any of the wrestling fans out there. But we're going to talk NFL. We're going to go through the full slate every single week here on Edge Rush, starting with the Thursday night or all the way through to the Monday night game. And I'm just going to guide this thing. I've got the real experts here in TA and the Hitman. And fellas, I'll start with you first, TA. Week one is obviously different than every other week in the NFL season, what do you do to approach week one a little bit differently than say the rest of the season?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously we've had months and months to uh, digest uh, all of these lines. And, um, you know, at this point, I think most of them have been kind of beat to death here. So unless you have a really, uh, this know brand new injury news, or, um, you've got strong feeling about, uh, you know, a late line move, you pretty much have, um, you know, at least for me, have most of your your plays kind of in pocket and you're just kind of, you know, sitting and waiting. Um, And I've, you know, I I put together a preview guide um, that I posted a couple months ago. And so I've I've been digging the off season. And so week one is kind of a a culmination of the off season work, uh, diving into what happened last season with all these teams, obviously all the free agency and the the draft and transactions, et cetera. So um, just helped me refine, you know, what my feelings are for, for these teams going into, into the season. So that obviously, you know, ducktails right into the, to week one. So, uh, you know, I think most of my, or all of my work is essentially done. I'm just kind of waiting and sitting to see if there's any, any of these lines move here last minute. We've seen some pretty big moves in the last couple of days with a few games. So, um, you know, something could pop up on the radar, but Um, You know, it's been a few months in the making and I'm ready to I'm ready to get week one on, you know, ready to go.
0: Well, for the people who bet early, there's there's some are opportunities out there, not huge ones, of course, but they certainly exist uh, on the board that's been out for four months. And one of the coolest things about doing this show and having so many experts uh, on the Hammer Betting Network, uh, we've got the Hitman's opinion here, too. So, Hitman, what do you think about week one as you approach it?
2: Yeah, I think Clev said it best. I, I mean, these lines came out, I think, in the beginning of May it was. And when you look at some of the discrepancies to what the lines were then compared to what they are now, it's it's pretty crazy. I know the Panthers were getting four and a half points at one point uh, before the, the it became more apparent that the Sean Watson was going to get suspended. The Saints, they opened a three, three and a half point favorite against the Falcons. So I think what you do in week one is you look at the major line moves that have happened and you say, okay, do I want to fade any of these line moves? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to recommend the people to bet the Panthers minus two right now. You had two months to bet the Panthers plus four and a half. The ship is all has likely sailed away, but there are some games where there's been big line moves Uh, Just one, for example, the Cardinals now catching six when it was three earlier in the offseason that you could look towards that and say, okay, well, is this an overreaction? And if you don't think it's an overreaction and you think that it's been properly moved, then you just pass on the game. But yeah, just like Clev said, it's a tough week. It's probably going to be my least amount of picks I'll have on this show just because so many of these lines have been beat up over the last four months.
0: Well, that's a great way for us to lead into the Thursday nighter because you've got the Super Bowl champion LA Rams, who opened as a one-point favorite at home to many people's Super Bowl favorite. Now the Buffalo Bills, and now the Rams are a two-and-a-half point, two-point underdog, depending where you're shopping. Um, Hitman, I know that you've got some thoughts specifically on this game, so why don't you roll us right in to uh, the opening game Thursday nighter, one that many people think could also be the last game of the year. We'll see how that that comes about.
2: Yeah, so. I I didn't bet the Rams plus two and a half. What I did was I teased the Rams, and you're gonna hear me probably mention this on this podcast a lot this season, talking about the advantage teaser, teasing through three, teasing through the seven. And, and that's what I did with the Rams. But I, I think that the Rams also have value plus the two and a half. I mean, personally, I was at Pickham on this game. If you look at Sean McVay's history in the season openers. He's been a coach that's done well with extra time to prepare. It's five and0 against the spread during those openers, winning covering the spread actually by an average of 13 points per game. The Super Bowl winner, week one at home, 14, five and two against the spread the last 20 years. So' it's, it's, it's the situation I think favors the Rams. And you know I, I know the bills are the, are good. I know I know the bills are they're my number one power rank team in the league. But last year, they had arguably the weakest schedule in the NFL. They went three and five straight up against playoff teams. So I just think that there's a little bit of value on the Rams. And certainly if the line does go up to three, I'll be interested in betting them against the spread. But I think right now, as we speak, it's probably best to look at the Rams in a teaser.
1: And I'll just say, I'll jump in real quick. I actually don't have a play on the side, but, you know, I think if you're just kind of looking to get some week one juices flowing on the opener, and you don't have anything going now, I think the over actually has a little bit of value. You know, I don't typically love taking overs this high, but um, I think with both of these teams, you know, I think both of the defenses were overrated last year. If you look at some of the metrics and, um, you know, Hitman mentioned the, the Bills played an easy schedule. If you look at just, purely points per game allowed I mean just a, an old school metric they they faced the single easiest schedule of opposing offenses in the NFL and anytime they played any you know legitimately good or good offense um, you know they allowed a lot of points they allowed close to 30 points in seven games to Kansas City twice Tennessee the Colts Tampa even New England twice if you exclude that win game so anytime they faced a real offense they allowed a lot of points and they're not going to be playing you know, this game with, with their best quarterback, Tredavious White. So, um, you know, and they lost Levi Wallace in the offseason. You know, they've got a first-round rookie in Kyra Elam um, having to go up against uh, potentially Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson. So I think the Rams, you know, assuming the Matthew Stafford elbow is fine, um, and it sounds like it is, I think they're going to definitely be able to put up points against the Bills, and, and I think vice versa, the Bills will be able to score. They score on anybody in, you know, in a controlled environment in a, in a essentially retractable dome um you know i think they'll be able to put up points here so i think it's gonna be a fun game i think there's gonna be a lot of points and yeah i mean i personally wouldn't touch either side if i had to gun to the head i I think i agree with hitman here um the rams are probably the the smartest play and obviously teasing up to to eight eight and a half is is obviously an advantage and you know there's a couple of other teaser opportunities too you compare them with i'm sure we'll talk about
0: well, we talked about the the line moving three, three and a half points in that game. The total has stayed where it opened at 52, which is interesting. So I guess it comes down to, do you buy the hype of the Buffalo Bills or do you trust the, the proven team and, and the champs and the Rams and, and an underdog to, to kick things off at home? So that'll be a fun one. Uh, we'll move now to New Orleans, who opened at minus three and a half, a uh, total of 42 at Atlanta, who are moving on from Matty Ice as we go into this season. The line now, our friends over at Betstamp consensus line, five and a half total, anywhere from 42 to 43. Um, So there's been some movement up uh, from where that opened. Hitman, I know when we chatted before the show, you told me you had uh, an interest in this one as well. So why don't we let you take the lead?
2: Yeah, so I did lay three and a half early in the offseason with the Saints, but I I still think that five and a half has just a little bit of meat left on the bone. I mean, I made this a little bit closer to seven and a lot of it's just how high I am on the saints. I mean, if you look at this roster, I'd say surrounding their quarterback, they're arguably one of the top two, three, four rosters in the entire league and Jameis Winston, probably we'd say an average starting quarterback. They were five and two. With him straight up last year. And now he's with no wide receivers. And you have this year now Jarvis Landry, Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, their offensive line is back to full health. Alvin Kamara not being suspended for this game. And we all know about the Saints defense that they're absolutely one of the best in the entire NFL. So I just think that the Saints, even right now, are still just a little bit undervalued and we all know the Falcons it's a team that's rebuilding and what do we know also about the Falcons is that historically and this year also they've been really weak in the trenches offensive and defensive line and that's where the Saints really excel so I think that the Saints at five and a half I, I wouldn't lay six but five and a half right now still has just a little bit of value
0: left. And shout out to those of you that got it at three and a half. Then any uh, any more thoughts on this one from you, Cliff?
1: No, I actually um, – I'm uh, laying off this game. I, I, think, I will say the one team that maybe has raised their kind of um, um, expectations in my eyes more than any other team uh, in the preseason, and again, preseason with a grain of salt. But I thought Atlanta was fairly impressive for that roster. The, their first team offense was really, really good, whether it be with Mariota or Ritter. So – it got me, you know, they do have pieces. They got Kyle Pitts, uh, who knows if Drake London will play, but, you know, they they do have a couple of guys who could be, you know, you know, elite uh, sort of weapons uh, in that offense. I've always thought Marcus Mariota deserved another shot. So they've got two really good corners and AJ Terrell and Casey Hayward. So, you know, they do have a couple of pieces that can make some of these games interesting, but I think in general, I'm high on the Saints as well. Uh, I actually have a 20 to one ticket uh, to win the NFC and, Got some uh, alternative overs and their win totals uh, from back in May. So I I do agree that I'm high on them in general. Um, You know, it it is a big number to lay on the road with Jameis Winston. Um, He he, he typically isn't that great. Um, I don't have the the numbers in front of me, but he's typically not that great covering large spreads uh, historically when he was with Tampa on the road. But, um, you know, for me, I'm just laying this laying off this one.
0: And we're not talking a whole lot of props here, but you got to at least give Jameis a, a, an interception look somewhere along the line, I think. Um, at least I love to do that. Uh, okay, the next game, and TA, I know you're so sick of hearing about the uh, narrative around this one, the, the Sean Watson there and now gone, uh, Baker Mayfield going to play his first game with Carolina against his former team in the Browns. And, you know, you talk about games that, that have moved. Cleveland opening a four and a half point favorite in this game back in May. Reminder, of everyone listening, all these games open in May. It's not going to be this drastic. At least I hope not. Or maybe we hope so. I don't know. As the season goes on. Open as a four and a half point favorite. Total 43 and a half. Right now we're looking at Carolina. Anywhere from minus one and a half to minus two and a half on the board. Totals anywhere from 41 and a half to 43. That's why Betstamp is so good. It, it lays it out, all the different numbers you can get, all the different places. So make sure you take everything we say uh, and and put that against the options that are out there. Any thoughts on this game from either of you? I, uh, I guess I should put someone on the spot because it's bad podcasting to throw it to two people who aren't sure who's going to take the next one. So um, Hitman started the last two and TA. I know you're tired of this game, but any thoughts on the line yeah. movement? Is there any value left here? Is there a play to be made?
1: Yeah, I actually, um, I do have a teaser leg with the Browns uh, at eight and a half. Um, obviously, uh, as Hitman mentioned, you got to get it through the three and the seven. So only consider this if it's at one and a half or higher. Um, I'm actually surprised that Carolina's favored here. Um, I think this might close pick them or even minus one of the Browns when it's all said and done. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think there's a little overreaction that Jacoby Brissett didn't look very good in their, in their one in his one. Uh, I guess half of action in, in uh, the final preseason game, and that led a little bit of a steam to Carolina. I, I just think that the Browns are the way better roster overall. And even when you look at, you know, the the win total. so so Carolina, uh, their win win totals right at you know six and a half minus one ten uh, that I've seen recently. You look at just the uh, games that Jacoby Brissett is leading the Browns, and if you look at their individual spreads, kind of add up the win probabilities you're looking at a pro-rated um, win total of about 7.7. 7. So they're clearly the better team. Just either the market's telling you that the, the rounds are the better team, even with Jacoby Brissett, by, by more than a game. Um, and they actually have a tougher set of opponents than um, than what the Panthers have. So you know, when you adjust for the schedule, it's even more. So even for a little home field advantage of Carolina, which is minimal, uh, there's no way this should be worse than a pick, I think. so, uh, But just to be safe, Uh, I did take the Browns here uh, with the teaser. They're going to run the ball a lot. They're going to, you know, Brissett does not turn the ball over. He also doesn't push the ball down the field. So should be a lower scoring game. So every point in the teaser will be even more uh, valued here. And, you know, just in general, like I said, they're going to run the ball with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, good offensive line. Carolina has, you know, had pretty good top 10 uh, rush defensive metrics last year. But when you look at their strength of schedule, they face the single easiest set of opposing um running backs when you look at yards per carry so they didn't really get tested much at all so this is by far the best test that they'll have um you know if, if you consider last season and i just think that the browns roster overall is much better they know baker mayfield inside and out coaching staff obviously has coached him for a couple of years it's pretty rare to get a coaching staff that's been together uh going up against the starting quarterback on the other team you don't see that often usually the coaches. If a quarterback's gone, um, you know, usually the the coaching staff has changed as well. So they're going to know all his weaknesses. They clearly have an advantage there. And Baker's never really been that good of a quarterback when he's in this kind of short favorite spot for what it's worth. It's it's not a lot of sample size, but um, I believe it's five, eight and one against the spread as a favorite of three or less. So. You know, not not typically his best spot. So I think just in general, this is a, a really good teaser leg on a low total uh, for the Browns here, as long as you can get it above seven.
0: I think that's always important when you see those teaser legs and low totals uh, with a team you think could even win the game outright. Um, that's that's always a good point for people to remember. How about you, Hitman? How about you on this one?
2: I, I defer to Clev with all, thing, all things Browns. So I think that he did a great job breaking that one down. But I, I have a quick question for Clev. Is I know we're not talking about props, but I just got to get it out because I know how much he follows the Browns. David Njoku, 31 and a half yards. I know you're seeing all the stuff about how much they're going to use them, the contract they paid him, Jacoby Brissett targeting tight ends at a top five rate. Is there any can you dispute that play at all? Njoku over 31 and a half.
1: No, I think that's actually pretty solid. Um, I haven't looked at any of the game props yet, but that's a good number. He um, he's clearly the number one tight end there. You know they've used multiple tight ends in the past, um, even three tight ends a lot, most in the NFL. So they're they're going to do more two tight end sets. But you know they paid him the big money. They're going to want to give him the ball. They don't have a lot of options outside of Amari Cooper and you know maybe David Bell, the rookie. So. The good news with Njoku is you could throw him a quick screen pass and he's so athletic. I mean, he's maybe the most athletic tight end in the NFL outside of Kyle Pitts, and he can break one pretty big. So you don't even need a lot of receptions out of him. So I would definitely pick yardage over receptions if if that was the option. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's not a ton of options to go around in terms of targets. So he he would definitely be up there. So I, I think that's a pretty good number.
0: Okay, moving right along to a game that has not moved all that much from the opening spread the San Francisco 49ers opened as a six-and-a-half-point road favorite against the Chicago Bears. The opening total was 42. Now we're seeing mostly sevens, a couple of six-and-a-halves out there still, and a total of 40, 40-and-a-half 40 in most places. Not the sexiest game ever, but there's a lot of intrigue around both of these teams, both young quarterbacks coming into this game. Uh, Hitman, I'll go back to you for any thoughts on the the Niners-Bears on opening week.
2: Yeah. I mean, my, my pure numbers have just a little bit of value on the bears and that would probably be where my lean would be, especially considering Trey Lance. It's it's just such a wild card and it's tough to have a power rating on San Francisco. If Trey Lance is really good, which maybe he could be, they're probably four or five points better than an average team. If Trey Lance is really bad and a downgrade on Jimmy G, which is a possibility, they might be an average team or, or slightly below average. So it's just really tough to power rate them, but I really don't want much to do with Chicago. I mean, the matchup of the game is the fact that the Bears' offensive line is probably the worst in the NFL, and they're going to be starting a fifth-round rookie against Joey Bosa. So we, we can all predict how that matchup is probably going to go. So, you know, my, like I said, my numbers support Chicago, but I don't have much confidence in my San Francisco power rating, which is just going to make it a pass.
1: Yeah, I'll jump in real quick. I actually, because uh, I was talking about I had an open leg on the Browns teaser. I did tease San Francisco as the other leg down to one. So essentially just needs to win. And as a hitman said, yeah, there's a lot of variance in Trey Lance this year. Um, you know, I could see scenarios where they blow out good teams when he plays really well. And there's other scenarios where they keep a game like this close where it shouldn't be close against a bad team. But, you know, just the, the, the advantages and the trenches with that offensive line versus the, the Niners pass rush. Um, the, the ability of San Francisco, if, if things are not going well with Lance, they could just run, they could just you know, turn around and run the ball um, against this defense, very young defense, six doom starters. I mean, their entire front seven outside of Robert Quinn uh, is is turned over here. So uh, just a lot of young guys. I mean, they're, they're case to be made that this line is a little long and um, it'll be closer than we think. But that, that's why I like the teaser here. I just think, you know, San Francisco's is, a, you know, high probability to win this game. Um, and I'll just keep that and not worry about the spread here.
0: Coming right back to Ohio, we've got the AFC North matchup between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals. Don't know if this is a sexy matchup or not this year. It's going to be curious to see if the Bengals can, can do what they did last season. It's going to be curious what the Steelers have to offer. Mitch Trubisky, named starting quarterback, Uh, six and a half point dogs on the road, the Steelers. So uh, are are we giving Cincinnati a touchdown here? How do we feel about this total at about 44 and a half, some 44 is out there. Uh, Let's start with you, T.A.
1: Yeah, I have no plan this game. You know, all I keep hearing is uh, (laughs) Steelers are definitely a trendy underdog. I'll just say that Um, I'm not as high on Cincinnati as some other people. Um, You know, I know the offensive line, upgrade but um i just think their defense is way overrated they didn't have a they literally had no injuries last year um, no COVID issues i think they they their offense is great they'll still be really good i think their defense takes a step back so um you know i'm gonna looking i'll be looking at Bengals overs um early in the season but here i just i don't really i know that the mike tomlin's great as an underdog historically uh i just think that their offensive line is so putrid I hate taking a bad offensive line like that on the road. Um, and they just, they they got destroyed by Joe Burrow last year. Their defense, you know, schematically is not very good uh, against Joe Burrow. So um, I'm just laying off. I think there's reasons for both sides. And I can understand people looking at Pittsburgh, but personally, I, I'm laying off this game.
0: Yeah, Hitman, any interest in laying a touchdown with the Cincinnati Bengals? It still sounds crazy, even though they went to the Super Bowl a year ago.
2: I'm <laughs> not interested in laying a touchdown, but if the line does get up, to seven widely available i i might be interested in pittsburgh and it would just be a pure numbers play based off my power rating uh there's nothing really that personally stands out with the matchup but you know this is a good game to just talk about some asymmetric risk you know you really don't want to lay or you don't want to take six and a half unless you are very 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 confident that it's going to go down and the reason is is that you know the line goes to six, all right, you rather have six and a half, but it could still be a bet. But if the line goes to seven, then that's a completely different ball game. So for me, very rarely do I take the six and a half. Uh, I, I'll usually wait for a seven or just if it goes down to six and I like that side, then I'll play it. But so for the, the way I'm approaching this is just a lean towards the Steelers and a, a potential bet if it did get to a touchdown.
0: For me, and I have no numbers to back this up, the Steelers are a team that every time you think they're going to get blown out, they find a way to hang around, and it, it'll drive you crazy, uh, especially when you lay a bigger number on a team like Cincinnati. Um, all right, uh, T.A., you mentioned trendy teams. A lot of love coming to the Eagles in the NFC East. They opened as a four-point road favorite, uh, 46 and a half total against the Detroit Lions, who might be getting a hard knocks bump at some books because the numbers actually come to four uh, and three and a half in some places. I know, T.A., that you have some thoughts on this game, a couple of fan bases that even though the Eagles won a Super Bowl recently, they're still hard suffering, if you ask me, and uh, everyone knows about the Lions history. so. Where do you, where do you, uh, where are you looking in this one?
1: Yeah. Like you said, pretty intriguing game between two teams getting a lot of sharp love in the offseason. Um, you know, I think this interesting that the total, I don't know what it opened up, what, 46, 45 and a half, something like that. I mean, it's steamed up all the way up to, I think, 49 now, um, which is interesting considering both teams are really run heavy. Uh, uh, they really rely on their offensive lines. I know, obviously, Philadelphia added AJ Brown, but, you know, I think this, this uh, total has steamed up a little bit too much. Uh, In my opinion, you know, both teams, again, they like to run the ball um, in the same matchup that they um, had last year midway through the season. The total was 48. And, you know, you can argue that outside of A.J. Brown, all the the additions and the improvements to both rosters have come on defense. Um, You look at the the Eagles have like six new uh, defensive starters, potentially with Jordan Davis and the Kobe Dean in in the in the draft. And they added Bradbury and Hassan Reddick. Uh, and just recently, the uh, uh, Johnson Gardner out of uh, the Saints in free agency and in trade. So I think the defense will be much better if you look at their splits. And I, I know this. Uh, I know the defensive coordinator pretty well um, in Philadelphia. I know his game plan is really just limit explosive plays. Um, and so he leaves the essentially the middle of the field wide open. So really good quarterbacks last year decimated this defense because they just dinked and dunked to death. Um, but against bad and mediocre quarterbacks, the Eagles were elite on defense. And so um, even Ger- Jared Goff had the second worst game of his uh, season last year against the same Eagles defense uh, from an EPA perspective. So, you know, they're pretty drastic, those splits. So I, I think they're going to lean on the run game more, uh, the Lions will. And I think that the Eagles are still a run heavy team that's going to sprinkle in the thro- in the pass um i think the clock's gonna run now both teams will go for and forth down a lot which you know could hurt this total um obviously if they convert but i just think in general this sets up more for you know a a little bit lower scoring than than this 49 i think um so you know if i had to lean somewhere i'd go under here
0: over under on kneecaps chewed through in this game I i don't know what's that one and a half you get the first kneecap, not the second one. Uh, Hitman, what, what do you got for this one? Anything?
2: You know, I think Clev made a good point that about the under. And like I said at the start of the podcast, you're looking to fade line moves at this point on lines that have been available for four months. And, you know, this line was about two, three points lower. And now's the time. I mean, I wouldn't recommend somebody to play over 48 and a half, over 49 after those moves. But if you're looking to play the under – now is probably the peak uh, of where it is. So I could only look in that direction. And speaking of unders, I mean, the Detroit Lions, I'm seeing them at Circa and some other places, seven wins. I think that's a big leap of faith for Detroit this year. And I see all the hype, but at the end of the day, I'm going to just simplify the handicap for you. One of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL combined with one of the worst defenses in the NFL, which is not a long-term recipe of success for teams that have had that combination to, to get to eight wins. So I, I think that the Lions season-long unders could also have some value.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I'm the host of this show, but but my take on that too is divisionally you've got you know what should be an improved Bears team, what looks like a, a pretty strong Minnesota team, and a Green Bay team that has you know a two-time MVP. So you're already your schedules and your wins are getting cut down pretty quickly there if you're the Lions. That that does seem like a little bit of a high number. Uh, speaking of high numbers, the highest spread of the week uh, right now belongs to the Indianapolis Colts. Some places a eight-point road favorite. Lots of sevens and seven-and-a-halves out there still, though. Uh, as they go to Houston, they opened as a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. The total opened at 44. Total has moved up a little bit, 45, 46 um and everywhere in between which is only the half any thoughts on this game and and the new home for for matt ryan
2: yeah i i could only look towards houston and it's more of a numbers play again a lot of times when you're going to get these ugly underdogs and the texans the bears some of the other bottom uh tier teams in the nfl when you do your work on the game you're going to be biased towards the favorite. And the reason is, is because you're going to look at all the metrics, the stats, and you're going to, the favorite in all likelihood, the seven point uh, road favorite is going to have an advantage in all those stats. But at the end of the day, I think you just got to stick to your numbers. And I think that Houston has a, a little bit of value. If, if, if I see the seven and a halfs pop back up again, which they very well might be, it, it's a potential play. Um, I'm not a big trends guy, but Frank Reich, 0-4 against the spread. Uh, minus nine points per game the last four opening days. And you try to think, well, what could be the logic behind a good coach like Frank Reich? Why is that happening? And I guess what you could think of is, oh, well, he has to deal with a new starting quarterback in those week one games every single season. Well, obviously, even though I have some long-term optimism for Matt Ryan, it's a new starting quarterback in game one for them. So just purely a numbers play, but Houston – is the side that I could only look at in this one?
1: Yeah, I honestly, I have no take on this game at all. I have no interest either way. Um, it's interesting that the line went from eight to seven. Um, I mean, there is this trend that's, you know, it's been out there floating forever. Home underdogs in week one in division are 19 and five against the spread since 09. Um, and we saw it last year with Houston in the same spot, blowing out Jacksonville as a home underdog. So, you know, interesting that, you know, that trend continues to hit year after year. Um, and maybe, you know, that could be why this line dropped down seven. I'm not sure. There's really nothing, no other news that I've seen on either side for it, for it to, to move. But um, again, I, I, I don't blindly um, take any of these trends, but I just thought it was interesting. And um, Houston definitely fits that one.
0: Texans certainly made some noise near the end of last season. They've got a big distraction uh, that's no longer uh, hovering over them as well. So yeah, let's see how that one plays out here in week one, and then we can all overreact as we go into week two. Um, overreaction or not, the New England Patriots are underdogs in Miami for it's got to be the first time in, in a pretty long time. Uh, three and a half points is where it sits uh, right now. Opened at around three. Total opened at 45. It's still hovering around 46. Uh, we touched a bit on this on our day-to-day injury show that was released on Wednesday, TA. Um, are the Dolphins getting too much love, and, and could injuries play a factor in maybe swaying you to uh, take a look at the Patriots?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't really have an interest in this game, but now that it's at 3.5, it's you know a pretty interesting move. I think a group released um, Miami, if, if I'm wrong. and I might be wrong on this, but I think they released Miami at 2.5 yesterday, and that's why I shot up to 3.5. Um, I'm not sure what happened, but <laughs> then the, in the last like couple of weeks for that move to occur, uh, otherwise, and you know, there are injury concerns. The, the you know, secondary for Miami could be in trouble Byron Jones is out already. And Nick Needham is our slot corner. Uh, it's questionable. Uh, I didn't see today's injury report yet, uh, for Miami, but you know, if he's out, then they really are thin outside of Xavier Howard. And, you know, there's some other guys, Jalen Waddle, uh, I think didn't practice today. So there are some interesting injury issues with Miami. I, I'm surprised um, that that line shot up to three and a half unless it was just steaming a, a play that was released. So, but that is, uh, you know, Hitman's talked about a couple of times, you know, at this point, just kind of maybe fading some of these moves and that one, uh, I got to dig in a little bit more, but that's definitely one on my radar uh, to see if I want to pull, pull the trigger on new England. I mean, this offseason has been interesting. All you hear is negative news about the, the offense. I just, I, I tend to uh, almost the more you hear about it, the more you think that there's some sort of sabotage, uh, intentional sabotage by Belichick that, you know, how could they, I, I just can't imagine this team be so poorly coached at this point uh, in the preseason that, you know, I, I tend to fade a lot of that talk um, in general, but um, I just want to get comfortable with a few more things, but that's definitely on my radar. I don't know. I love to hate
0: on Matt Patricia. I love to hate on Joe judge um so you know to see those guys scheming together makes me makes me kind of excited I don't know um but uh interestingly their opponent this week is a team that uh, I'm very much in prove it mode with the Miami Dolphins okay you've got some weapons now now what's going to happen here uh Hitman what do you think about this one
2: so I was on Miami when they were at two and a half and then as Clev said another group followed that by they released the dolphins minus three the other day and shot this up to three and a half. Um, one, I think I spoke about asymmetric risk on the Steelers game. I think the same thing with this, if you like Miami, don't lay three and a half on it. See if it gets back to three, they're very well could be buyback on the game. And if it gets to three consider Miami and that's how I would approach this game. If I didn't already play it, uh, Obviously we all see the reports, as Claude mentioned about the Patriots offenses preseason. The beat writers have just been saying that it's been absolutely abysmal. The, the reports from the joint practices have been really bad. Even in the preseason, Mac Jones had 6.3 yards per attempt, 35 success a 35% success rate and that was against the Panthers and the Raiders backups. And yet you have to wonder with all this talk that we hear about the Patriots offensive line being bad, it's a tough matchup. I know the Dolphins don't have Brian Flores who schemed a lot of pressure, but they were number three in the league in pressure rate and fifth in the league in sacks last season. So I, I like Miami's matchup, honestly on both sides of the ball. And when you look at Miami's offense, am I a little worried about Tua? Yeah, I am. But the Patriots, well, one of the, things that they've struggled with in the past few years, personnel wise, even while their defense was good was the lack of speed on offense and defense. And one thing we know about Miami is the playmakers that McDaniel schemes the ball to, they're going to be fast. Um, Patriots last 10 times in Miami, two and eight against the spread. And obviously playing there in week one is one of the toughest weeks to play in that humidity with most of the Patriots players not having uh, any game action or full game action since last December. So I think that if you didn't bet this game already, my the, the way that I would approach it is wait for those minus threes on the Dolphins to show up. I think that they will show up and you'll look to take Miami at that point.
0: You make a very good point. Even when the Patriots were at their best, the game in Miami was never, ever easy for them. So that's a, that's an excellent point there. Uh, sticking in the division, at least half in the division, in the AFC East. On Wednesday, Robert Sala came out and called Joe Flacco an NFL quarterback with a straight face. He gets the start against the Baltimore Ravens, who opened in May, mind you, everybody, at four and a half. Favorite, uh, the total at 45. Now we're seeing seven, seven and a half for Baltimore. Total still around 44 and a half, 45. Ah, uh, you've got the the contract issue with Lamar swirling. Uh, maybe a you know a disappointing season for the Ravens last year. The Jets have had a disappointing, you know, insert number of years here. Uh, I'll start with
2: you, Hitman. Anything on this game? I can only look towards the Jets, and it's crazy because this line was five and a half or six, and then the Zach Wilson injury happened, and we've seen it shoot up so much, but. You know, the Jets last year averaged 4.5 yards per play when Zach Wilson was on the field. It would have been last in the league. And when he was off the field, they averaged six yards per play. It would have been second in the NFL over a full season. Now, do I think the Jets are the second best offense in the league without Zach Wilson at quarterback and someone else? Of course not. But it, it does make me worry a little bit about Wilson's long-term outlook that the Jets played so much better without him. And it does make me think that, you know, maybe Joe Flacco isn't that big of a downgrade. And I think that me saying that has more to do with Zach Wilson than it does have to do anything with Joe Flacco. So I think that just from a numbers perspective that we might've seen a little bit too big of a move on this game. And the only way that I could look is towards jets.
0: Very salient point there. Yeah. Joe Flacco isn't the, Super Bowl MVP, but what's Zach Wilson, and is he is he worth that many more points? And and how about UTA in the Joe Flacco revenge game?
1: Yeah, no, uh, I agree with the Hitman. Pretty much everything he said. I, I would rather, if I was backing a team, I'd rather have Flacco than Zach Wilson today. To be honest with you, for one game, so I don't see it as a downgrade. I think it's essentially flat. Um, but you know, the Ravens do have a history of just destroying these bad teams. And when they have that advantage, I think the Jets everywhere else, especially on defense is still a really bad team. So I I just, I'm staying away. Um, The only, the only place I'm fading, this is uh, in survivor pools. I know a lot of people will have the Ravens and just feels a little bit um, too much of a slam dunk. And so this is one that I'm just laying off from from that perspective Um, because, you know, the whole Lamar thing is still up in the air. He supposedly, you know, by Friday's the deadline to get a contract extension. So you never know where his head is at. Uh, but I just can't, I just can't back this Jets team. Um, you know, with my money. But uh, I'll just kind of lay lay it off altogether all when it comes to uh, either betting it or you know in these survivor pools.
0: And speaking of bad
1: teams, why don't we
0: stick with a couple more? We've got the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Washington Commanders. This game opened Jacksonville three-and-a-half road underdog total at 44. Uh, right now, seeing about two-and-a-half out there, Jacksonville still the dog, and totals ranging from 43-and-a-half well, to 44. I don't see any 44 and a halfs out there or 43s. So this one is interesting to me because the Urban Meyer debacle, um, you know, the Washington coming off of a decent 2021 – or 2020 – not looking so great in 2021. I know neither of you guys are really excited about this game, but uh, I guess TA, do you have any take on it at all, or will this one be uh, catch the highlights on uh, Sunday evening?
1: Yeah, no play for me. I again, this was one of those uh, it was part of that group of um, sides that got hit uh, in the last couple of days. When you know it was hovering around four and a half for a while, and it got to three and a half, and then just all of a sudden just sh- shot up to two and a half or shot down to two and a half um, just yesterday. So, um, you know, if if I were to look, it would only be Washington's side. Uh, But, you know, I have enough skepticism on on both sides to uh, essentially uh, hold off on this. I mean, it's interesting. Washington, if you look at win totals, they're at eight. And you got Jacksonville six and a half. I think they're pretty equal um, juice. You essentially have a team that's a one and a half win. Um, better than the other and is playing at home and is only laying two and a half. And I know that matchups matter more than, you know, more than that from a high level, but there's really no matchup here that Jacksonville, um, you know, it's sort of a matchup advantage. They have, don't really have one over Washington. It's just the, I think this is more of a, you know, play on on Jacksonville's upside for the season and Trevor Lawrence's upside uh, more than, you know, just one particular game. So that that's my guess as to what's going on because I don't think otherwise. There's really any reason why um, this line should be at two and a half. But um, I, to me, it's either Washington or pass.
0: So, Hitman, do we think Trevor Lawrence is another sophomore quarterback who really gets it done here? I don't know if sophomore is the right word. We'll say second year. Who really gets it done, uh, or is he going to take a little more time to develop? Should should getting in on Jacksonville early in the season, mean value. How how are you, how are you looking at all this?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that Lawrence, he he was a generational prospect. I think that he got a little bit of a raw deal last year with the dysfunction that was happening in Jacksonville. But you know what? It's a moot point when the line is accounting for it. And I think that the line even is over-accounting for this Jacksonville hype right now you know at four three and a half yes jacksonville was a fine bet but a two and a half with maybe the washington home field advantage is worth one and a half let's say you're really saying that jacksonville is almost equal to washington and i, I can't get there so it really goes to show why they say the, the old saying uh pros bet numbers and the public bets teams and that's really the case of jacksonville at jacksonville at plus four I would have been looking towards them at two and a half. I could only look toward, towards Washington. So that that's how I feel on that one.
0: Okay, I'm I'm
2: interested to see how that
0: one plays out. I mean, uh, it's probably going to be uh, like an eighth screen viewing experience for me if I if I do pay attention to it. But personally, the the football fan in me hopes Trevor Lawrence uh, and the whole Jacksonville organization can get past the disaster that was last season. A um, couple or three or four disastrous seasons for the new york giants as they come into 2022 they opened as a six and a half point underdog to the tennessee titans with the total at 44 this has actually moved in favor of the g-men now they're seeing five and a half some fives out there total uh pretty much static across the board at 43 and a half so it's ticked down a half point no uh No big deal there. I know there's a lot of excitement for Giants fans, if for no other reason than to get rid of um, the regime that was running things previously. Uh, Where do you land on this one Hitman?
2: Yeah, you know, I thought that I was going to get seven on the Giants, and it was one of the games that I was eyeing earlier in the offseason, but it's really two teams that I want to be down on this year. And it's two teams that, you know, whoever wins this game, I'm probably going to look to fade them. Next week, the the Giants, there was a lot of hype on them in the offseason with, oh, they got a coaching staff now. And I do like Dable and Martindale, but it's just a roster that's at least a year away, in my opinion. Still not a great defense, still not a good quarterback. Receivers, absolute complete mess. And then the Titans, on the other hand, team, I want to bet against also. The receivers, huge question. The offensive line is a question mark. They've been such overachievers the past few years, in my opinion, that eventually you would think they're going to have to come back down to earth. So no real play on this one, but maybe in week two, We'll talk about who won this game and why I'm going to fade that team for that week. And T.A., I know, yeah, I know that you you don't hate the
0: Giants here. And is that more of a endorsement for them? Is it more of a fade of the Titans, or is it the number here?
1: It's a combination of the two. I don't like it here. I'll just say that I have it at six and a half. I, I didn't, um, you know, I, I thought that they were getting enough uh, off season love and just, I know the market was down on the Titans. So I, I had no point, i never thought it would get to seven. So I just grabbed the six and a half. Like I think it was almost two months ago at this point. So it's obviously trending down, I, I don't really love it here. Um, you know, at this point, maybe some, if you want to take some alternatives and have a little fun with it, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, <clears throat> I think it's just a fate of the Titans. They, their offensive line is just a complete mess. I don't think anyone's really been talking about that a lot. Um, even their best lineman Taylor Lewan, he's uh, seen better days. His numbers continue to go down year after year. Um, you know, obviously, we know the wide receiving core is turned over. I think Ryan Tannehill this year in general is going to be looking over his shoulder with Malik Willis. I mean, this is the last. Well, it's not the last year of his contract, but it's it's a uh, kind of an open secret that the Titans will likely just move on from him because you can get under his salary um, and not take a big uh, cap hit after this season. Uh, and then drafting Malik Willis in round three and seeing what he did in the preseason didn't help things for, for Tannehill. So the entire season, he's going to be looking over his shoulder. And I think there's a, there's going to be a point where they'll consider a quarterback change. So I think just the vibe around the team isn't that great. And I think with the Giants, and obviously they just lost Harold Land, too. I mean, he, he was by far their best edge rusher, best sackman, uh, highest pressure rate on the team. Um, big blow for them. And I think the Giants, again, aren't a great team. I think that obviously the coaching change is, is dramatic. I mean, you got a coach that in week 18 last year uh, inside his own 10 yard line ran two straight quarterback sneaks on second and third downs. One of the most egregious things I've ever seen on a football field in the NFL. Um, so that alone is is worth something. I mean, Daniel Jones, um, you know, in games he started and finished last year was four and six. And you look at the point differential and this is against I think all but two teams that made the playoffs was a really tough schedule. Um, You prorated out their point differential, essentially were a seven win team last year, if you would have played the full season. Um, And so, you know, I think they're much better than, than what, you know, obviously happened last year. The two backup quarterbacks, Jake Fromm and Mike Glennon were the two, literally the two worst uh, from an EPA perspective in the NFL. So it made their season look a lot worse than it really was tons of injuries. um, You know, one of the most injured offenses in the NFL. Uh, I actually like their wide receiving core. I know Hitman doesn't like them, but Sterling Shepard is going to play week one coming off that Achilles. You know, Kenny Galladay has been, been a problem, but, you know, Kadarius Tony is one of the most explosive receivers um, in the NFL. Top 10 in yards after the catch per reception last year. I think he's got a ton of promise. Um, Wondell Robinson's a nice rookie out of Kentucky. You know, so they do have some weapons. Obviously, Saquon Barkley's still there. I just think Dayball will get his playmakers the ball in space. We'll just scheme up a little bit better, um, and I think the offensive line goes from one of the worst in the NFL to actually could be adequate. Uh, Andrew Thomas is a really good left tackle; he improved, you know, tremendously last year. Was top fifteen in pass blocking by PFF. You know, they got a new center, John Feliciano, who's been very versatile with the with the, with the Bills uh, recently. We got Mark Lewinsky, who was a free agent coming from the Colts, a very durable uh, guard who's top twenty five by PFF in three of his last four seasons. And then they drafted Evan Neal top 10 pick out of Alabama to play right tackle. If he's, you know, just any good and he's not going to have to deal with Harold Landry this year, this week. um, I think they're a pretty, pretty adequate uh, offensive line. So all that being said, I think they're, they're improved team. I think the Titans are trending down. Um, Daniel Jones, historically has actually been really good in the spot 14 and seven, 18 uh, ATS um, as an underdog. And he's got seven outright wins. So out of those 14, so, you know, he's pretty good when he's in the spot there, you know, against the Saints last year, early in the year, uh, they're big underdogs, very similar. Uh, they ended up beating them outright. So I could see something similar here. I, I don't love the the five and a half. I mean, the six is kind of a, key, a new key number these days with the advent of more teams going for two. So I would have liked six and a half more. Uh, and that's what I have. But, you know, um, if you want to maybe grab the money line or do some alternatives with the Giants, I, I could see that with some, some, you know, plus money uh, as another option.
0: Oh, money line play. Now we're talking. I mean, I listen, guys, as a fan of the NFL, as a fan of fantasy and as a fan of betting, I just want to see Saquon, I want to see Derrick Henry stay healthy all year. A lot of people say never invest too much in running backs. These guys are prime examples, kind of why with all the injury trouble, um, but when they're at the top of their game, boy, are they ever fun to watch. Uh, teams that are both fun to watch, quarterbacks that are fun to watch, The Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, the Arizona Cardinals, and Kyler Murray. This game opened the Chiefs, a field goal favorite, the total at 53. Right now, we're looking at the Chiefs as a six-point favorite, totals up to 54 in some spots, 53 and a half. I think all the 53s are gone. TA, we talked about this game a little bit on day-to-day as well. Um, Big line movement here for the Kansas City Chiefs.
1: Yeah, actually, um, I took the three, minus three, uh, about two weeks ago, gave it out to, to my subscribers too. Got to saw a slight move up to three and a half and then went up to four and a half and then just out of nowhere yesterday shot up to six. Uh, that, was, that was really interesting. Um, I mean, I thought the matchup was great in general. That's why I like the three so much. I mean, six is a little bit much here. Uh, I can't endorse that, so I, I'm definitely not doing that. But just in terms of the, the game and the matchup, you know, I, I'm not that down on Kansas City like some people are after the Tyreek Hill uh, trade. I think they still have plenty of weapons. Um, you know, you saw in preseason they were pretty dominant with, with the first team offense for, for whatever that's worth. But, um, you know, they got a really good offensive line. We know how great Patrick Mahomes is. He's, he's actually, when you look at his um, career uh, in week one, it's essentially a cheat code. I mean, his, he's never posted an EPA per drop back worse than uh, .418 in season openers which put that four one eight in, in in perspective, that's equal to the 86th percentile of all quarterbacks in all games last year. So he, his worst opener in his career was as good or better than 86% of the, the quarterback games last year. So, you know, we know Andy Reid, when he's got time to prepare, he's awesome. So I think they're easily going to put up points against an Arizona defense that did nothing in the offseason off to improve. They lost Chandler Jones, their, their main pass rusher. Um, J.J. Watts coming off COVID, he may not even play. Uh, They did nothing in the secondary to improve. They actually got worse. Uh, One of their cornerbacks who was slated to start, Antonio Hamilton, who we talked about on on the show uh, yesterday, Um, he's out for four games, and he wasn't even that great to begin with, but at least he was a body. Now you got to really dig into the depth chart. They traded for Trayvon Mullen with the Raiders, who's a disappointing third-year man from Clemson. So I think they're in trouble, and they rely heavily on the blitz. That's how they generated their pressure last year, one of the top blitz rates in the NFL. And Patrick Mahomes just decimates blitzes and to the point where teams essentially have stopped trying to blitz them because he just shreds them. So, um, you know, I can see them, you know, sitting back and then just getting picked apart. And, you know, as good as Kyler Murray is, and, you know, it's not like I like the Kansas City defense, and this is why I wouldn't lay the six here. Um, You could easily get backdoored. It's going to be a high-scoring game. Um, but I think they can get enough stops, especially with Deandre Hopkins out and this offense is way different when Hopkins is not uh, in the lineup to the point where their offense goes from top five in the NFL with him in the lineup to more like bottom 10. So, um, yeah, Marquise Brown could help as a deep threat, but I think in general, it's just a great matchup for Kansas city. And, you know, with the injury concerns, uh, both sides of the ball for, for the Cardinals, Um, At this point, maybe you just look to the money line if you're going to do anything with Kansas City, if you want a little piece of this game. Uh, But otherwise, uh, I think it's just a no play at six. Uh,
0: My favorite part of that is that Marquise Brown has now lost the Hollywood designation with you. He's just Marquise right now. Like there's no the Hollywood's gone. He missed too many balls last year. He's just Marquise.
1: I mean, those drops against the Lions game, if you remember, I mean, I think he dropped three easy touchdowns.
0: Trust me. I remember it all too well. Uh, Hitman, anything for you on this one?
2: Yeah. You know, not really. I agree with everything about Mahomes. He's not going to miss a beat without Tyreek Hill. You know, he's played eight games without Hill. He's seven and one straight up, 340 yards per game, 17 to one touchdown, the to interception ratio, the chiefs averaged 30 a game. So that's not going to be an issue. Andy Reid, Eight and one straight up, six and three against the spread and season openers. We know of extra time to prepare that he does a good job. Now, like Cleb said, a lot of the work points to Kansas City, but the line's just gotten out of control at this point to where Arizona's getting six points at home. I, I just can't justify it from a numbers perspective. So for me, it's probably going to be a pass.
0: All right. We're getting near the end. Stick with us, everybody. We've got four games left. And earlier today, I saw a tweet that talked about the average ticket price for week one and had all the games listed from top to bottom. And uh, the only reason it looked that way is because the Las Vegas Raiders are playing on the road. Don't know if anyone's tried to get a ticket out of Legion, but it ain't easy. Uh, they opened as a four-point underdog against Justin Herbert and the L.A. Chargers. It's still right around there. We're seeing some three and a half. So it's down to three at uh, at least one or two shops that I'm looking at here right now. The total opened at 51 and a half. Uh, we're getting 52s, 52s and a half out there, 52 and a halves. I'll work on my English before next week. Neither one of you guys had any real strong feelings about this one, Hitman. I'll let you start um, with a team that I've got a lot of interest in this year in the Las Vegas Raiders and a player who I love to watch, in Justin Herbert on the other side of the ball.
2: Yeah, strong lean to the Chargers. There's still some minus threes minus-120s that are out there. And that would be probably the way that I would look. Derek Carr, historically, against pressure, has struggled. And in two games against the Chargers last year, according to Rich uh, Bar, Carr was pressured on 42% of his dropbacks. He threw for 5.5 yards per attempt on those dropbacks. And the Raiders, we know they have weapons, but the offensive line is probably going to be an issue. And the Chargers... This year, have probably the one of the best pass rushes in the entire NFL, led by Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. The Raiders last year a little bit lucky, seven and two in one score games, despite having a negative 65-point differential. So for me, the only way I could look is the Chargers. I just really wish that they were playing where a game where they had some actual fans because they're probably going to get a zero for home field advantage from me in this game. So that's the unfortunate thing if you're looking at back them. but I think that the matchups favor the chargers and that would be the only way I'd look. All right. Chargers for
0: Hitman TA,
2: anything for you on this one?
1: No, I think he did a good job uh, describing. I think this is a fun game. Um, I always love these Chargers Raiders games historically. Chargers are always a fun team to watch just because you never they usually keep things interesting till the end. Um, So I I don't have a play on it, but um, you know, uh, I think uh, leaning the Chargers if you're gonna if you're gonna look that way uh, makes a lot of sense. And um, you know, I think if they had JC Jackson, that's a legitimate injury there. You know, with Devontae Adams on the other side, they don't really have anybody to match up one on one, so I think he's going to get peppered with a ton of targets if you're looking at, um, you know, some props. I don't, I don't know as much on the yardage. I think because of the pressure from the Chargers and the offensive line with the Raiders, you can see a lot of quick, quick passing, um, and Josh McDaniels is known for the quick passing. So, um, I think, uh, I think Adams is going to catch a lot, is going to get a lot of targets early and often. And then I think actually Zamir Wright, uh, uh, Zamir White. Um, is an interesting, I don't know if there'll be any props on him. I actually like him from a fantasy perspective. I think he's going to end up taking over for Josh Jacobs. I don't think the, the coaching staff and the GM, they obviously didn't, didn't draft Jacobs. They almost you know cut him supposedly in the off season. This is the last year of his contract. They didn't extend him. Then he gave the fifth year option. I think uh, they're going to give White uh, some opportunities, at least in the passing game early. So that's, that's where I would look is, um, you know, if he gets some, some targets you might get a low number on him in this game, but um, you know, from a prop perspective, that's something I'm looking at.
0: I'm fascinated by that division this season. I, I just really want to see how that plays out. Uh, it's it's arguably the strongest division in the NFL. I don't even know if it's uh, if it's arguably. You talked about Devontae Adams there, and it's going to be really really weird to see him in black and silver. Although I'm excited about it. And we talked about Tyree Kill in Patrick Mahomes going their separate ways. Aaron Rodgers loses his favorite target. He goes into Minnesota, our last game on the afternoon slate here, opened as a a one-and-a-half point favorite. A lot of one-and-a-half still out there, Uh, twos, two-and-a-half. There's lots of different ways, lots of different numbers out here to bet this game uh, with such a low spread, and and there's a a point, a lot of ways uh, to go. Total open at 49. We're seeing 47s basically across the board, still a couple of 47-and-a-halves out there. Is the wrong team favorite here? Do we still love the Green Bay Packers without Devonte Adams and Aaron Rodgers? Uh, Hitman, why don't you start with how you see this one?
2: The spread's probably about right. Um, I, I spoke about the Rams teaser earlier. Uh, the Vikings were the teaser leg that I prefer to pair with the Rams. All the Vikings did last year was play close games. I mean, they, if I think if you eliminated the last two minutes of the first half and the last two minutes of the full game, the Vikings would have went something like 15 and two or something ridiculous. Now, obviously you can't eliminate that, but it just goes to show that this Vikings team was pretty dominant slash in every single game. And they just could not get those end of game situations. Correct. Well, if you're getting seven and a half in a teaser, you really don't got to worry about those end of game situations. So I think that Minnesota in a teaser is the way to approach this one.
1: And nothing for me there. I think it's T, you know, tease Minnesota. I've heard that a lot. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, And I think it's a low scoring game too. Um, uh, I think the green Bay defense is is really, really good. And I think with the lack of weapons on the outside, I'm I'm starting to see some Sammy Watkins buzz. (laughs) Uh, then you know you're in trouble at that case. So I, I think they're both going to lean on. Um, I, I think Green Bay is going to lean on the run game a little bit. So um, could see uh, some you know, short passes, run game should be you know chew up the clock, which makes the uh, seven and a half more valuable on a teaser for for Minnesota. I think
0: Sammy Watkins buzz. That's that's what we're at now. Oh boy, yeah. And the totals come down two points. So uh, I think there's there's some people thinking along the same lines. As you guys, two games left and two very, very, very intriguing matchups. Let's go to the Sunday nighter. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers opened as two and a half point road favorites at AT AT&T Stadium with a total at 52. As we take a look at the latest odds provided by our friends at Betstamp, we're still getting that. The Bucks two and a half point road favorite, even money at some places. Total 50, 50 and a half, 51. There's, there's numbers out there, but it hasn't moved a whole lot. Uh, Hitman, I know you had a play that you like on this one, so why don't we start with you?
2: Yeah, I like the under. And you look at both these teams, they've had an off season that's just been absolutely disastrous for their offense. Let, let's start with the Bucs. First of all, Todd Bowles has said that they want to look to run the ball more this year. That helps an under. And you look at the offensive line injuries – that they've had, they've lost their entire starting interior offensive line from last year. They've lost obviously Antonio Brown, who was gone at the end of last season. But Chris Godwin is probably unlikely to play in this game. Russell Gage, he was dealing with an injury uh, in training camp, and then Rob Gron- Gronkowski retired. So the Bucks have lost a lot of guys on offense, and Dallas offensively. Lost Michael Gallup, not going to play in this game. They lost Amari Cooper. Um, Offensive line, lost Lyle Collins, lost Tyron Smith now. So both offenses have just suffered a a lot of losses. And I feel like this total, at least it opened in an area where you're looking at it. And it's probably similar to what it would have been last year. And I know it's been bet under a little bit, but I, I don't think it's been bet under enough. And also one more thing, Dak Prescott, yards per attempt dropped a full yard when he was blitzed last season. And what's one thing that we know about Todd Bowles is that he loves to blitz. So I think that the under is the play. And it probably is my favorite play on the board that's still available at this moment is the under in Dallas in the box.
0: Wow, there you have it. And I don't think Hitman had a chance to listen to our day-to-day chat yet Ta. Although I appreciate if he did, Um, but we touched on that as well. Uh, Is there anything else, Ta, in this one that uh, gets you interested?
1: No, I I don't. I mean, I think he did a good job of explaining it. I think it makes sense. Um, I think the Dallas T is overrated um, in general, um, just because they they led the NFL in in turnover EPA per game last year, one of the highest totals we've seen um, since two thousand five. But they also, you know, you may look at that and say, oh, well, that means it could be higher scoring. But they also took a lot of the – that EPA came with pick sixes and fumble, you know, uh, scoop and scores. And, you know, you just can't, you just can't assume that's going to happen, uh, continue to happen with Trayvon Diggs. So, um, you know, I think it's Tampa and the under, and kind of the two areas I would look to, look to uh, the most here. I personally don't have a play on it. But, um, you know, I think, I think this line might end up getting to three. Uh, I really do. Um, might be a late rush. Um, C.D. Lamb is questionable. We talked about that. Um, and so I just think that, uh, with, without Tyron Smith, it's just, it's really tough for this offense to move the ball. And if you don't have CeeDee Lamb at a hundred percent, it's, it's going to be even tougher. So uh, I think Tampa and, and under both make a lot of sense.
0: Okay. Last game on the schedule, Monday nighter. Uh, you couldn't draw this up any better, really. If you're the national football league, Russell Wilson goes to Denver And then comes home to open the season in Seattle. That's going to be a spectacle for sure. Now we're talking betting. The Broncos opened as a three and a half point favorite with a total at 41. This game has moved, I would say, when you consider total and spread, probably the most. We're seeing a lot of six and a halves out there right now. You can still grab a six at a couple of places. Total is getting up there. 44 and a half now is the dominant consensus. I know both you guys had some interest in this game, which was curious to me. It was the only one in our pre-production meeting that you both had some interest in. Uh, so I will start with TA here. Uh, why don't we tell us what you uh, what you've sniffed out in this one?
1: Yeah, definitely. I definitely lean Seattle here. Um, I'm not sure if it gets a seven. Um, you know, Maybe Hitman has another idea, but. Um so if you can get it at you know, if you want to get it you know minus 120 125 I think that's out there. Um I don't think it'll get to seven one ten. but you never know with these prime time games I could be totally wrong. Uh, but I just think that um this line just has gotten way out of whack. I don't think Geno Smith is actually as bad <laughs> as people think. He played pretty well last year. Um he was middle of the pack when it looks to, when you look at EPA per drop back and he did that against a set of defenses or the the Rams, the Steelers, and the Saints. I mean, those are three of the best defenses in the NFL last year. And his best game came against the Jags where, uh, I mean, he he really um, looked really good. And and I think they scored 31 points on on the Jags. They blew him out. Mm -hmm. So I think he – not saying he's good, but I don't think he's terrible uh, by any any degree, Uh, especially with those wide receivers. I think they're going to be able to score – some points against the Denver defense, which is, you know, decent, but they lose Vic Fangio and he was a big reason why, um, you know, they did some of the things they did. It wasn't necessarily the talent level. Uh, So I think they're going to be able to move the ball uh, on Denver defense. And the other side of the ball, it's, you know, it's simple for me. Like Russell Wilson has been in the same system for, for a decade. He's now going to brand new offense, um, brand new, you know, uh, players, offensive line and weapons. Um, brand new head coach and a brand new offensive coordinator. And he's doing it at night in a loud stadium. Uh, obviously he knows well, but you know, that's not easy. He didn't play a single preseason snap either. So just assume he's going to step in day one um, and they're just going to come out firing. I think is, is this, is is hard for me to, to believe. Uh, I mean, you look at Tom Brady two years ago, his first game, when he, he went to Tampa, you know, he looked terrible against uh, the saints he was off with his receivers. Uh, he threw a pick six and everyone thought that you know the, that turn that was gonna be a really bad move by him. We saw how it turned out. I mean, I think I think eventually this is gonna be fine, but I think game one in this environment is a really, really tough spot. So I just think there's a lot of points, um, way too much for for a team that can can you know stay stay within this number. You know, I don't like the Seattle defense at all. I think they're they're pretty bad, but I just think you know, again, their coaching staff obviously knows Russell Wilson, just like the, the Browns of Baker Mayfield. So they will have that advantage. They know what he likes to do, and what he doesn't like to do. Um, and I just think just the, the, the lack of familiarity uh, with with his uh, with that system and those players, I think it you know, will cause some some issues early for, for Russell Wilson.
0: Hitman, do you concur? Do you disagree and why?
2: So I agree with everything that Clev said, but Clev, I'm going to run this by you and see if you'll agree. You know, I don't know if we get seven for the full game. Obviously I'm, I'm holding out for that right now, but we are going to get three and a half at least for the first half. And Seattle is a team that if they do get down in this game, it's tough to see them to get a backdoor score to uh, cover the spread for us. Just because obviously we're dealing with one of the worst passing offenses in the league, but if the game is close and they're able to play the style that they want to play, which is run the ball, don't turn the ball, don't turn the ball over, play good special teams, all that, then the first half, I could see it being more likely that they keep it close. You know, Russell Wilson, it's going to be his first game in the system, as you said. And obviously, the crowd is going to be super excited, especially early in this game. The Broncos didn't play Wilson in the preseason at all. So if there's going to be any rust, it's probably more likely to happen in the first half. I'm definitely considering Seattle plus three and a half for the first half. You, I assume that you would endorse that as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that makes a lot of sense. I actually thought about that too. Um, I, I do think even if they're down, um, you know, with those receivers, they can make plays. And Geno Smith has, uh, does have a history of actually getting some back doors. <laughs> did it against, uh, I think he took Pittsburgh to overtime last year in a similar spot. So That was the only reason. And, you know, if they do go up, I think Rashad Penny. I mean, he was the best running back in the NFL the last month of the season last year. So I think they could actually sit on the ball um, against an average run defense. So totally understand. I I wouldn't mind uh, taking that first half either. I think both both make a lot of sense.
0: And there you have it. The full slate for week one NFL 2022 Hitman, TA, thank you so much. I am so fired up about doing this every week and selfishly because uh, I'm going to take all of your knowledge in just like everyone else who is listening and try to make the best bet out there. Um, Guys, thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this week plays out. Getting back we will rehash it when we talk about week two and set up the games for week two as well on behalf of ta on behalf of the hitman and producer jason i'm chris abbott thanks for tuning in to Rush.